So we're very excited to be here today at the Forest Grove Middle School. Thank you so much to uh, Principal Tatum for inviting us over to speak to this group today. Uh, and there's, there's a big reason why we're very excited to be here. When we were sitting in your seats, when we were your age, we wish that somebody came and talked to us in the way that we're going to be talking to you today. We wish that somebody told us the things and the stories that you're going to hear today. And that's why we're here. Back in September, our older brother Oleg came to us with an idea. He has obviously been following our progress with the mentors. He knows that we do a lot of speaking events. And between the classes that we teach and the programs that we run, we're on stage all the time. So he thought it'd be a good idea if we could give a talk to our nephew's school. Because our nephew's in 8th grade and he's graduating going to high school at the end of the year. And so this might be the last opportunity for us to present at his school while he's still 13. Now this is one of the biggest middle schools in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is about a city of 300,000 people or so. And there are about 1,000 people in the school. So we would be speaking in front of anywhere between 500 to 1,000 middle schoolers. And we have spoken to small groups of kids in the past, but this would have been a first for us. Now, there is another reason why our brother thought this might be a good idea. You see, the principal of this particular middle school was a guy that was willing to try new things. He was the kind of person who really cares about his students and their well-being and their future. And so he was really open to new ideas that could help in their overall education. And that's actually a good lesson for everybody because when you're doing something new, a lot of times you do have naysayers or when you want to just experiment and try something, some people will go against you uh, and it kind of feels like going against the grain, but then others will be very, very supportive. In startup talk, that's called early adopters. In real world talk, that's just called people that are easygoing and uh, I guess willing to get your back when you're trying something new. And so we knew that if we were going to approach the principal with something like this, there was a pretty high chance that it's going to happen simply because he's the type of person that is open to new ideas. Vadim and I started proactively looking for opportunities to speak in public probably around five or six years ago. Actually, we were... 26, 27 years old. So almost exactly six years ago. Yeah, right when we got to New York City, we just wanted to build our network here. We wanted for people in the New York tech community to take us more seriously, to establish a name for ourselves. And what better way to do that than to speak in public and basically look like an authority figure. When you speak in public, people automatically think, well, (laughs) if you're given a stage to speak, you must be important. That's just kind of what we naturally feel. So... We kind of made it a rule for ourselves, a personal rule, that if we were going to be given an opportunity to speak in public, we would almost never say no. And I I can't think of a time where we said no. We almost always say yes unless it's a topic that we really don't understand. And we do it both for groups that are large and small. Uh, And if it's a really, really small group, like actually about three or four weeks ago, we were invited to speak to a group of students at Fordham University. And it happened to be slightly poorly timed to where a lot of the students were taking finals and it was a busy time for the students so it ended up being a pretty small group 
But still, we took it as an opportunity to connect with everybody in the room. And actually, it was a very intimate and fun setting for us and a good experience because, again, we felt like we were helpful to the people. And if you ever talk to anybody that's you know, a little further along than you, for example, a potential advisor or mentor, they're really there to help because they want to and because if they feel like they can be helpful, that's enough incentive for them. So in that scenario, it was helpful for us. But throughout this whole period, since we were 26, 27 years old, we found ourselves speaking to pretty decent sized groups, 50 plus people. Right. And sometimes even up to a thousand. But back to the story at hand. When our older brother came to us with this idea, the reason why we jumped on it was twofold. One was we say yes to pretty much every speaking opportunity. And for us, this was an opportunity to practice speaking in front of bigger crowds. And we also thought, you know what, maybe this could be a potential way for us to start speaking to groups of students in a repeatable way, more than once. And of course, there was the added benefit that we were going to be able to create this awesome experience for our nephew that he would never forget, the fact that his uncle spoke in front of his entire school. So there was a lot of reasons for us to say yes and take the opportunity. So the very first step was to get the okay from the principal because obviously he is the ultimate decision maker there. So our brother came up to him after school one day when he was picking up his son and he said, hey, you know, he gave a little blurb about what me and Sergey are all about, what our experience is. I'm sure he embellished a little bit or at the very least talked about the highlight reel of, of what we do. And he got the principal excited just through that conversation alone. And then the next step was pretty simple. He made an email introduction to us. And then within a few days, we were on the phone with the principal of that middle school, essentially pitching him on what we thought we should talk about. I talk to entrepreneurs quite often that try to sell into schools and reaching a decision maker like a principal is a notoriously difficult thing. But I think the reason why this was so easy is because it came from a parent that has their son in the school. So hot tip for anybody trying to sell to schools, try to get through parents and you'll probably be able to get in front of the decision maker. So Fast forward to our September scheduled conversation with the principal, we knew our job was to convince him to let us speak to his students. And here's how we did that. So first, we kind of brainstormed a little bit what we thought would be interesting for his group of students and get a little buy-in from him. And of course, the beginning of the call, we always treat as a discovery phase. So we wanted to understand, have you had anybody come in and do assemblies like this? Do people typically talk about the topic of entrepreneurship uh, to these students? And we found out pretty quickly that the answer is no. Uh, he never had anybody come into the school to talk to the students about this type of topic, nor was there anybody that was doing this format as well. And we realized that it was kind of blue ocean for us. In other words, there was a pretty decent chance that if we got them excited about what we're going to be talking about, and if he thought that this is fresh and new but also valuable to the students, then we'd get the okay. Just to break down a little bit for you exactly how the conversation went, we spent probably the first minute or two of the conversation building credibility. So saying, hey, we're really glad that our brother was able to connect us with you. Pleasure to connect. I'm glad that our brother uh, was able to put us in touch. And This is what we do in New York. We've been working with and mentoring entrepreneurs for the last several years. We invest in startups, etc. Basically building credibility, but only doing that for about a minute and then quickly jumping into our first question, which is talk to us about some of the assemblies that you've done. What have been some successful assemblies and unsuccessful assemblies? Assemblies for students. Is there certain types of information that you like to impart on the students? I'm just kind of curious how you think about this, what you're looking to do more of to see if it could be a potentially a fit. You know, so my philosophy is 
I just want middle school years, seventh, eighth grade. I just want to expose our kids to as much as possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you know, different um, jobs, different experiences, whether it's doing service learning, um, just trying to get them out there and, and experience different things until they figure out what it is that they that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of kids come in, you know, so focused on one aspect, which is obviously schooling, which is important, but there's so many other aspects to them as individuals that mm-hmm. I want to tap into. So, you know, we're, we're creating a student council here um, to provide them with more input as to some of the things that we do here mm-hmm. at school, whether it's, you know, a spree day or, or planning dances, um, just so that they can be more engaged. This is the first year that we're offering um, a sports program. Um, We're going to have volleyball in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball and softball in the spring. Um, We have a a commitment to kindness program here called 365Z. Um, We have a band that that we're starting up. So I just want them to have opportunities to find their niche here at Forest Grove before they go on to, to the high school level. Yeah. And once we did that, and once we understood a little bit about what was motivating him, we expressed our belief in the fact that we think young people should learn about the value of being creators and potentially entrepreneurs, but really creating something from nothing early on in their lives. And I think we communicated our passion and our real belief into this mission so much that he was bought in almost immediately. Business. So that what we want to get kids excited about is uh, even the fact and basically empower them uh, that even at this age, they can start businesses and they can be creating things uh, and tell stories of others essentially that have been successful. And usually we intertwine our stories uh, in there as well. That's great. That's excellent. And, and, and like you said, so many of our kids need that. Um, mm-hmm. Just so they can see that that is a possibility. You know, because yeah. I think a, a lot of kids this age don't see that as something that they can do at this time. We also yeah. delivered it in the form of a story. Uh, you want the person that you're talking to, in order to convince them of the value that you're trying to create, you have to put them in the shoes of the person that's experiencing it. So we said, we kind of created this user journey story uh, where we said, okay, when we were in middle school, we really wish that somebody came in and talked to us about XYZ. Here's how we envision this could be valuable to the students. Here's what they care about right now. Here's where they're spending their time. We want to bring it home to them by talk, telling them stories about other young entrepreneurs or other successful people and what they did when they were younger. And by the end of the call, we decided to see if they have any budget for this. So you can get paid for speaking at public or private schools. Oftentimes, they have budget allocated specifically for speakers. But of course, it depends on your level of experience in doing public speaking. So maybe you start off charging a couple hundred dollars, but it can get up into the thousands. And since Vadim and I are very experienced, we decided to first actually find out, do they have budget? and then throw out a number. But my philosophy is actually always to try to get the person to throw out the number first so that you can base it off of their understanding of a potential budget. And it was a kind of a funny moment on the call because uh, he clearly had never really had somebody come in and do a talk about this type of topic. And so he didn't really have an idea of what the number would be uh, that would be sufficient to compensate somebody for a talk like this, given this level of experience that we have. And so there was a little bit of back and forth, and then Sergey and I took a long pause, and then he threw out a number. I think it was like 
a thousand dollars is what he pulled out yeah and i actually i i had to keep pushing to get him to reveal a number he kept on saying you know i really don't know and i kept on pushing and saying well if you were going to allocate anything to this what do you think would be palatable and he threw out a thousand and we said that we'll send him a proposal and we ended up sending him a proposal for one to two thousand dollars and a two thousand dollar package would include a professional video and other written assets but um the idea was he could take this and go to the Department of Education and try to actually get them to pay for it, which he did. Well, he did go to the Department of Education to try to get them to pay for it. But unfortunately, about a week later, when we followed up about it, we found out that it simply wasn't in the budget. So we kind of sat on it for a few months uh, because this was early on. We had agreed with him that it'd probably be best to do something like this in the spring. So there was a lot of time, uh, and we kind of thought, well, there's no budget for this. Maybe we won't do it. Maybe we'll try to see if we can get some sponsors, and we kind of put it to bed. Yeah, it was probably six or seven months that had passed uh, between that conversation to when we decided, hey, uh, the school year is going to end in about two months. Are we doing this or not? This is going to be the last opportunity for us to do an assembly for our nephew before he goes to high school, and so we should just basically do it or not. And at this point, I had made a couple cold calls to potential sponsors, local companies in central Massachusetts that could potentially sponsor the event, sent a couple of emails. I will say I probably didn't do enough of it. I think I probably sent about four emails and made three or four cold calls and got the names of some marketing people and never actually heard back. And again, this is remember that this is a one-off for us. So this isn't a full-time job. It's essentially an experiment. And we probably could have put more effort into trying to secure sponsorship. But for us, the main value was actually getting the opportunity to speak in front of this large group. Yeah. And in fact, the principal even said, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't able to get the budget from the Department of Education for you. You know, we might be able to find a few hundred dollars from another budget, which would have covered our travel expenses. But Vadim and I figured, you know what, let's not make them strain their budget. Really, there's going to be a lot of value in us doing this anyway, let's just do it. And so even though we spent a couple months thinking that we might not do it, ultimately in the beginning of May, so just a couple weeks ago, we decided to email the principal and say, hey, let's set a date. We're going to come in and do this assembly. And then at the same time, a bunch of other live events started to come together for us. Uh, you guys recently may have heard our interview with Andrew Glincher and Becky Frankowitz, and we have another interview coming up, and those were all live recordings and events that we held in front of an audience in May. And so at this point, our May was packed. We had three live events. If you've ever hosted or put on an event, you know it's a lot of work. And so for us, this seemed like additional work, and we may have stretched ourselves too thin. We hadn't actually sat down to do this presentation to work on it until two weeks before the event. But Vadim and I work well under pressure and that is enough time for us because we've done this before. So we wanted to walk you through our exact process from start to finish for how we construct a talk. And again, if you don't have a lot of speaking experience, we suggest giving yourself more than two weeks to do something like this. But Sergey and I have done seven hour lectures in the past. Uh, which take a lot more time and preparation and content to come up with. And so we were very confident that for a 40, 45-minute talk, we can turn it around within a week or two. And that's exactly what we did. So step one for us was to figure out what is going to be the skeleton of this talk. We knew we wanted to broadly talk about why creators rule the world. We knew that we had plenty of personal stories to pull from, stories from this podcast, 
but we didn't exactly know what's going to be the beginning, middle, and end. Now, we did have a general framework for how we were going to go about structuring this talk. We go into it in more detail in episode 14, which is called Public Speaking Techniques Used by Billionaires, Actors, and Presidents. So if you haven't listened to that episode, open up your podcast app and scroll all the way down and find that. It was recorded uh, in the first few months that we started the show. But the general idea is this. We're going to only use images because we like to have visuals in our presentations to make sure that the audience stays engaged. We need to have a solid beginning, so some kind of hook. We need to have a solid close to keep people excited at the end because a lot of times people only remember the very end of a presentation. And then we wanted to make sure that we keep it story-based because from all of the public speaking experience and teaching experience that we have, the most engaging thing is typically stories about yourself or other people. That's what people tend to remember. That's also part of the reason why we only use images. We actually started doing that early on when we were first preparing for our first ever talk that we did on a professional level. And while we were preparing for that, we were Googling around you know, good presenters. And one of the presenters was Dharmesh Shah of HubSpot. A while back, there was a video of him giving a presentation. And he had a bunch of slides and all those slides were only images and we just loved that. And the first talk we ever gave in front of about 100 people Somebody tweeted saying, now that's how you do a PowerPoint because they loved the fact that we only had images. So from that day forward, we never use text in our slides because we know people are not going to read it. People are going to get bored. And the images actually help us because the minute we see an image, we know exactly what story we're going to tell and we don't have to do any other memorizing beyond that. So that's just something that we recommend for people. As a matter of fact, uh, after we delivered the talk, our sister-in-law and our brother were there and my sister-in-law came up to me and she said, how did you memorize all that 50 minutes straight? And I said, oh, we have a trick. We don't. (laughs) We don't memorize anything. I mean, of course, we practice over and over again. And I think this presentation, we practiced the 40-minute talk uh, six times, five times before the actual delivery of it, with the last time being right before the night before we presented. And what's helpful when you practice like that is, A, the story stick, B, There's a lot of specifics that you remember from what you want to impart, even the specific messaging. And C, as you're going through the process of practicing, you're actually editing the talk as well. So hopefully every single time you practice delivering it, it's getting better and better over time. And I I would say we probably memorized only a few lines in the whole thing. Like There was a few key things that we wanted to sound crisp that we did memorize, but that was probably like three sentences, literally. The rest of it was just stories, knowing what stories we're going to tell. So that's what we started with, is knowing we're going to tell stories and we're going to work with only images. And based on the proposal that we outlined to the principal before, we said that we were going to talk about our own entrepreneurial stories and stories from people that we've met that are going to really resonate with kids. So we decided to focus mostly on stories from entrepreneurs that we know that started their first businesses when they were kids. And we had this idea of talking about celebrities and what they were doing when they were young. And in fact, I Googled what celebrities do teenagers think are cool. (laughs) And we used that to kind of guide what kind of people we would talk about. And so we started off the presentation with an interactive component. Start with a little bit of game. We want you to guess who you're going to see here. We're going to show you some people that are pretty well known. You should know who they are, but it's when they were about your age. So let's start with this first one. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, no, but he kind of does look like him. Say that again. Your dad? Nope. 
Your dad? No. Maybe. Uh, Not Kobe. How about some? Uh, did you did you get something? Black Larry Bird, okay. People are getting close, but yet also very far. I don't know. Very, it's not, it's none of those things, okay. <laughs> yeah. Shark Tank, that's the, a winner. You're the first one can of somebody, the day to get that. So you can hear the excitement here in the kids' voices of, of engaging with this because we made it a game. And the trick for us was we wanted to make sure that they weren't falling asleep in the beginning. The beginning is so important for us to make them feel like they're part of it so that they would listen for the rest of the conversation. If you know 13-year-olds, they can get distracted very easily. And so our whole presentation was essentially a collection of stories of other people and then the story of us, the presenters. And that probably, I would say, took the most amount of time because we wanted it to progress and kind of tie everything together. But remember, when you're telling these stories, make sure they sound like stories. It's not enough to just read an article about, let's say, a famous person and find out what they did when they were kids that increased the chances that they were going to be successful in the future or that set them up for success. You also have to put the audience in the shoes of that person and make them really feel what they went through. So in that scenario, you can actually take a lot of creative license. You can even embellish a little bit and paint a picture just like an author would in a book or a short story and really make the person experience what that other person experienced in their life. Now, let me give you a quick example that Vadim helped me refine. One of the stories that I wanted to talk about was how Damon John started his company when he was still a teenager. He started FUBU when he was still a teenager. And a key part of that story was how he hustled to get LL Cool J to wear his hat, the FUBU hat, in his music video for free. And so you could tell that story saying Damon John was really persistent and he was able to get LL Cool J to show his hat in his music video and that made him successful. And that sounds super boring. And when I started saying it, I kind of said it like that. And Vadim was like, dude, you got to put in a little bit more color into the story. And it didn't actually matter if I knew exactly what happened with Damon and LL Cool J, but here's how we did it better. Yeah, I mean, we also wanted to make sure that the students understand why LL Cool J finally decided to give Damon a shot. Now, we didn't have the exact answer, even though Sergey did meet uh, Damon John uh, in, in person. He didn't actually ask about this story, but here's the narrative that we created. We knew that uh, Damon John and LL Cool J lived in the same general neighborhood. So we said that the first day that Damon got this idea, he went over to LL Cool J's front door and he knocked on the door and nobody answered. So he went one day and he knocked on the guy's door, no answer. He went on the second day, knocked on his door, no answer. Third day, fourth day. Finally, on the fifth day, the guy happened to be checking his mail and he caught him while he was checking his mail. He's like, hey man, I live right down the street. I'm making these hats, they look really cool. I know you're starting to get into some music videos and stuff. Can you please wear my hat in one of your next music videos? And to his surprise, the guy said yes. Why? Well, maybe it's because he lived in the same neighborhood and they grew up in the same place. He only just started getting famous. And he said yes, and he wore it in his music video. That's the guy in the middle. You guys know LL Cool J? LL Cool J, yeah. Uh, so some people hear like some, some old, older rap. I mean, this guy was, was famous like in the 90s, in the early 90s. Right. But he when he would get videos out on TV, they would be like, the but as you can tell, that's a lot more of an interesting way of telling a story because you're putting the person in the shoes of Damon when he's a kid just hustling. Now, is that exactly precisely how it happened? No, but the students were more engaged. They're going to remember who Damon John was after that story. And we don't really think Damon would care all that much. So we had this outline 
really in a Google Doc of all these different stories that we know about entrepreneurs and our story and other people that we've had on our podcast. But it was really just a dump of stories. We didn't really know what structure it would be. We did know, though, pretty soon that we were going to start with that game in the beginning. So that was like the the initial part of actually formalizing the talk. And then the next step was how are we going to weave our own personal story, sort of the hero's journey of the guys that are standing in front of you giving this speech in a way that's going to make sense. So we kind of worked our way backwards from knowing the outcome that we wanted to then going back and figuring out how these stories are going to fit. And the first first thing that we did was actually just find images that, let's say, would relate to that story. For example, images from our past, find images with Damon when he was a kid, start putting them in a PowerPoint so that at least we start having some slides. And then it feels a little bit less intimidating to start reorganizing the story in a way that it makes sense. So it started with an outline in a Google Doc, then a a dump of a bunch of different images that were going to be slides, and then we started reorganizing them and figuring out what story goes where. And after practicing the talk a few times, we actually started removing some of the stories because it felt like it was dragging on a little bit, or we felt like maybe some of the parts that we had originally thought were really interesting weren't very additive. So again, the editing is actually incredibly important when you're going through this process. That's true. In the book Originals, which I've mentioned I think a few times in the show, uh, they talk about how Martin Luther King worked on his speech, the the speech that he ended up delivering that ended up becoming the I Have a Dream speech. And he was actually practicing it and editing it up until 10 minutes before he was going to go up and speak in front of these thousands of people and in front of the rest of the country. But in fact, the I Have a Dream story itself wasn't even in the original presentation that he was going to give and not in his original cut. The reason why he said that story is because he had been saying it throughout the years in other speeches. So it was kind of part of his arsenal. And some woman behind him that knows him said, tell him about your dream. And he ended up saying it in that particular speech. And even though he had done it hundreds of times before, it came out more eloquently because he had done it so many times and because he had gone through that process of editing the stories came to him while he was presenting in person and in fact while Vadim and I were live in front of the kids we had practiced it so many times that we were fluid and comfortable and even things and ideas of how to tell the stories even came up during the presentation that made him sound better So if you don't do that process of practicing and refining and editing, you're not going to be comfortable once the stressful situation of being in front of a public actually comes. And for us, Sergey and I at this point find comfort in being in front of an audience. We actually like it. Uh, It might sound sadistic, but we do really enjoy it. But in the beginning, it wasn't always the case. And especially if you're not an experienced speaker, that's where practicing over and over again really helps because when the moment does come and you're in front of people, sometimes your mind goes blank a little bit. But if you practiced, you can just look up your notes really quickly and typically you'll launch into exactly what you were going to talk about and do a pretty good job. So then the last part of the presentation that was really important for us to get right was the close. And we were kind of thinking about it and going back and forth on how we're going to do this, we thought, well, maybe we'll write some kind of song together with the students and do another interactive activity, or maybe we'll write another song for them. If you guys know, we've been really into parodies lately, and so we thought maybe we'll do a new parody, have like a one-minute song that we write, and also have that as additional content that we can share with you guys in a separate episode. But then we decided, well, it's only two weeks before we do this thing, so why don't we just use the existing parody that we have which was our parody of Macklemore's These Days.
So what playing this video accomplished, and you can hear how jazzed the students were to actually see it, is it was the culmination of all of the lessons that we told them. And it was a demonstration of the fact that we were creators ourselves. And not only are we just telling them this, we're actually showing them how we still to this day try to create. So the end of your presentation, just like you learned when you were in school that there needs to be an introduction, you know, a thesis, examples, and finally a conclusion that sums it all up, the end of your presentation should be a conclusion that allows you to revert back and sum up everything that you just talked to, but then demonstrates in this final push, a powerful way of showing what you just said that's going to convince people of the points that you were making. And there's obviously a lot of ways to do this. Maybe it's some kind of reveal that happens at the end that you were building up to. Maybe it's something that, again, some kind of climax uh, or something unique that you do. For us, it just happened to be this uh, example of us being creators. So fast forward to the week of the event, which was last week, and Vadim and I are going through this process of practicing every day, but there were two more things that we wanted to make sure we got out of this experience. One was we wanted to see if maybe we can get some local press. Again, any kind of press just helps us grow the mentor's brand. And the other is we wanted to have a video asset, which some students were a bit curious about. I'm sorry? Why were there cameras? Uh, why were there cameras? Oh, because so we're creating more video content now, and we're going to use this video to send it to other schools and get schools to pay us for stuff like this. So, yeah, exactly, because, well, so we do stuff like this all the time. Like, you do some stuff for free, then you, you get a professional video person to shoot a video. We can do that. We can send it to Telegram and Gazette, and they're going to send it. They're going to show it. We can send it to TV stations. They might show it. You never know. So that was part of our motivation for getting a video done, beyond the fact that we just want to have collateral that we can use for marketing later on. And... Securing a videographer is actually pretty straightforward. We reached out to someone in our personal network on a Monday. On a Tuesday, they referred us to somebody else. By Wednesday, I had a call with a videographer and confirmed him to come in and uh, actually do the recording on a Friday. Yeah, so if you need something in a crunch, sometimes going through people that you know helps. For us, it was my girlfriend, Jackie, who helps us with some of the production of this podcast. She knew somebody from school from that hometown, and then he referred us. It was pretty quick. Getting press turned out to be a little bit more of a challenge. Thank you for calling the Worcester, Telegram, and Gazette. If you know your party's four-digit extension, you may dial it at any time. Telegram and Gazette, Jerry Russell. Hey, Jerry. How you doing? Um, uh, my name is Vadim Revzin. I wanted to uh, see if you guys would be interested in potentially covering a story tomorrow. So my twin brother and I, we are originally from Worcester, and we went through the Worcester public school system. And uh, now we're in New York City, and we're uh, venture investors and entrepreneurs and podcast hosts. But we're going back to Worcester to give a talk tomorrow in front of the whole school. Uh, at Forest Grove Middle School. We partnered with a principal there uh, to essentially do a talk on how to encourage entrepreneurial thinking and creative thinking at a young age to provide some insight for these students early on uh, to make sure that they're spending their time in the in the right areas. And we thought it might be a good story for you guys just because we originally are from Worcester and it's kind of like we're coming back and giving back to the community, especially as Worcester is starting to reinvent itself and thrive and become more and more entrepreneurial. Okay, and where this is Forest Grove tomorrow? Yeah, Forest Grove Middle School. We're uh, we're doing two sessions just because they can't fit everybody in the auditorium. I think seventh graders are at nine thirty a.m. and then eighth graders are at one thirty p.m. 
Right, this sounds familiar. Did you send us an email on this? Yeah, I think my twin brother did. Okay. Um, well, I'll look for it, or you can just send me off another one. But if you could just give me the who, what, where, why, and when, and I'll send it to our education reporter, and we'll see if he can pop over there if, not, if he has nothing else going on. His name is Scott O'Connell. Okay, great. I'll follow up uh, then to, with an email to uh, to your address, and I'll get their name added to the list in case they can make it. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks a lot. Have a good one. Yep, yep, bye. bye. So that gentleman, Scott, actually didn't end up making it to the event, unfortunately. Uh, it was pretty last minute that we tried to get him there, but we haven't given up yet. We have now a video asset that we're going to send to him and see if he's interested in covering the story. We're also going to give a little bit of an explanation and the one sheet and basically as much content as possible to create a story out of this. We're also going to create a little fear of missing out by telling him that we're going to be pitching the story to the Boston Globe, which is a bigger publication. So we'll see if we can make that happen. We'll give you an update in the next few weeks. So Friday turned out to be a pretty awesome day. Not only did our nephew love the talk and you know this we basically made his his day or maybe even his year i'm not going to pat myself on the back too much there maybe just his day but it was just so much fun having middle school kids throughout the day come to us and say hey sergey vadim that was really cool and we actually found out later in the day that our sister's-in-law's cousin's son was in the morning session which we had no idea. And he came home telling his parents how much, how he was like the best assembly that he's ever seen, which obviously made us feel really good. And it was worth it for just that. Not just because we didn't have any friends ourselves in middle school and this was redemption. <laughs> no. uh, but that was really an exciting part. But the best part, the best takeaway was the teachers that came to us after the talk. We did two assemblies, one at 9.30 in the morning for half the school and the other at 1.30 in the afternoon before school let out. And both times we had teachers and the vice principal come up to us afterwards and say, first of all, great talk. But secondly, we don't know how you kept those kids engaged for 50 minutes because usually they're falling asleep. They're starting to chit chat, talk, being really disrespectful to the speakers. And that didn't happen this time at all. So all the prep work that we did to make sure that we understood our audience and said something that resonated with them and actually engaged them versus just speak at them turned out to be very valuable. And that feedback, those testimonials from those teachers, we can use that when we're trying to pitch and actually get paid for future talks to say, hey, we were able to keep a group of hundreds of 13-year-olds engaged for an hour. If we can do that, we can certainly keep your group engaged. And hopefully that'll just help us sell our talks in the future. So look, we did this for fun and we did this for our nephew. That was a primary driver, but there was all this other value and all these other benefits that came from the experience. And I can tell you right now, first of all, we were going to be going home to Massachusetts to visit our family anyways, but that made this Friday or this past Friday a really fun day. I mean, we were elated the whole day. We kept on getting positive feedback. When we were hanging out with our family, they were all excited. Our mom actually came to the talk, and that was the very first time she got to see us speak in front of anybody, let alone a large group of people, our brother, our sister-in-law. I mean, it was just such a great experience that we all the time, me and Sergey talk about that happiness oftentimes or fulfillment comes from having varied and interesting experiences. And for that alone, this was worth it. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and have a few takeaways for next time you have to give a talk and maybe have one or two weeks to prepare. As always, please reach out to us if you have any questions. And please, if you found this episode relevant and valuable or any of the episodes that you may have listened to in the past, 
please share The Mentors with a friend, just one friend right now, if you can. Go into Apple Podcasts, go into Google Podcasts, or whatever your podcast listening platform is. Click on that share button, send it via WhatsApp or text to your friend, uh, and maybe it'll be helpful for them as well. Uh, We'd love for you to help us spread the word because ultimately we really enjoy creating this podcast and talking about things that we think could be helpful to people. So if you think it could be helpful to even one more person that you know, please hit that share button. It'd be really helpful for us and it'd mean a lot. Have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next week.